There's one common event that we will all face, our own death. Yet how often do we truly engage with this fact and what are the implications of how we live our life? Opening up the conversation about our own death while we have the space to do so is the focus of this week's guest, Nicola Adams. Nicola, an intensive care nurse, talks about her own direct experiences of death through her own life and work as an ICU nurse and the implications of not facing this beforehand. She also talks about her own relationship with death and how she personally moved from not wanting to be here to wanting to enjoy life to its full. This is an easily accessible and far-ranging conversation with a wonderfully engaging lady. Whether you believe we go on after this life or think that this is it, the conversation challenges you to consider how you want to die and how settling on your own truth on this matter can actually reduce fear and bring a sense of ease to your life. So enjoy, Nicola. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Death and dying and passing over is what we'll be exploring and deep diving with my guest today, Nicola Adams. Nicola, welcome to the show. Hi. So... One of the questions I always ask at the start is people's connection with WA. Now, you don't actually live here, do you? No. You're here over on a trip from Sydney. Yeah. To see good friend of the show and yourself, Tash. Tash Kelly. Yes, who we had before. (laughs) Um, Do you come over to WA often? Uh... Probably once every couple of years or a year and a half. I usually try and get over to see Tash when we are particularly excited about a stage of our lives and it looks like there's a big shift coming. We usually try and get together and do something. What, um, how do you see, how do you feel the vibe here in Western Australia? What do you, what do you enjoy? What do you pick up? Um, whenever I come over to, I mean, I, I've only really come to Perth, so, you know, if I talk about WA, I'm really only talking about Perth, but um, it it always feels expansive. When I come over here, it feels expansive. There's a lot of space and also um, (coughs) metaphysically, like the white noise, there's, there's much less you can... I feel like you can find your own resonance much more easily because it's it's silent here. You can tune into yourself. You can hear your own thoughts, um, and so people tend to sort of find their essence and create things more easily. Do you find that more here than you do in Sydney? Um, I find it for myself that often if I'm coming over here and I've planned something, and if I think about it when I'm in Sydney, I, it just feels too much or too scary or too big but then I come here and I just do it and it's so much easier once I'm here yeah and I wondered about that quite a bit but I actually had a reading from an astro cartographer lady and she was looking at the charts and she said there's actually whenever I come to Perth there's a lot of sun in my charts it turns me into this more of a warrior aspect than when I'm over east so it's probably why I feel less intimidated or shy Mm. 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 And what else? What else do you pick up here as well? What about the people and? Um, well, people are very um, generally very down to earth, uh, approachable, warm, 
and I think there's they've got less um, less walls around them, hmm. so it's easier to get to um, meaningful conversations quicker. Right. Yeah. Right. That's mm. fascinating, that is. Maybe it is because I don't know, but it's hard for me to really contrast because I don't have to go to work when I'm here, generally. Yeah, it does so have that holiday. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, obviously I feel more relaxed, but um, sometimes I do have things that are kind of worky and it, it always just feels much more relaxed than when I'm in Sydney. Yeah. I, I think people are definitely busier in Sydney. Mm. Yeah. You've mm. always got to get to work or they're coming back from work or Is that well there's a higher volume of people mm, identity. Definitely. Yeah, but also the um land is you know, Sydney's down and in I yeah. don't know what you call that, but the the um you know the energy tends to get stuck, it comes down and in, that's why the heat builds and the um Yeah the pollution builds as well so you get these brilliant red sunsets but you know yeah so i think it's probably fresher in a yeah. way mm. so as i look in as i looked across um your journey and your story that you provided with me beforehand we'll get more into it in a second yeah there's a strong sense of seeking and seeking beyond the veil of life yeah um where does that come from in the Nicola journey? Well, if I want to answer really honestly what comes to me. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a real problem. I think it comes from the womb because um, I, wasn't, I did not enjoy being in the womb when I was in the womb. Right. And I do have memories, but it's not like, you know, it sounds really bizarre, but it's not like I always could remember being in the womb. It's more like I had certain things, certain situations where I felt really uncomfortable and I didn't know why. Like, you know, if I'm you're in a sleeping bag or something and you feel like you can't move your arms or legs, I used to hate that feeling and I would feel so nervous. And then, you know, I started doing these meditations and people say, you're in the womb and, you know... <laughs> You're supposed to go into this deep feeling of yeah. relaxation bliss. and bliss. And I used to be, oh God, I don't, you know, don't put me in there. It's horrific. So, uh, and then uh, so a couple of times these memories did just come back to me in the middle of doing things, usually in the bathroom, because we talked about this before and they're yes. normally my moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. I would just remember, I'd have these certain memories and I remembered like not being happy in there. My mum wasn't particularly happy about being pregnant. She was quite worried about it. Her marriage wasn't going too well. Um, did she share this with you? No, I just... I, you just knew? I just knew, yeah. And then later on I talked to her about it. <clears throat> And um, she was quite anxious and she used to get a lot of headaches. So she used to take a lot of paracetamol. So all the time. And every time she, she used to get angry and every time she had a really strong emotion like anger, I used to get waves of it. It was like, it's very toxic mm. when you're in the wound. So I was constantly getting hit by these. And then the paracetamol was also very strong. So I was in this environment. It was just really uncomfortable. And then... Um, and my mum's very lovely. I have a really 
lovely um, relationship with her, but um, she definitely wasn't a person that was into meditation and conscious birthing and stuff, mm. you know, when I was coming through. So, um, And I would have chosen all that for a reason. And then um, as I was coming through, about to be born, I don't think anything happened physically, but I really changed my mind. I remember thinking, I, I do not want to go there. I don't know why I decided to do this. I don't know what I signed up for, but I don't want to get in. And I tried to turn around and I actually had this conversation with spirit. And it, it's always confused me about free will because I still don't really understand what, what the purpose is for me behind the meaning. But they said, you, you can't stop now. It's not possible, which is strange, right? Mm. They said the momentum is too strong and you can't, you just got to keep going forward. You can't yeah. come back. And so I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, everything after them was a kind of, I guess, was a seeking for me of what does this mean? Like, why am I here? What is, because everything when I was growing up, I couldn't find any meaning or purpose in anything that people were doing. No one was happy. No one was being honest about what was happening for them, how they felt. No one was saying what they were really thinking. Mm. And no one was happy. And they were like, had these lives, these priorities that were driving them forward that meant absolutely nothing to them. And I just, it was just depressing. I just couldn't. You saw that. I couldn't understand young why. Well, I could feel it because I could feel what people were feeling, but I could also see what they were trying to project. Mm. But I didn't. Und- I just thought everybody knew that, so I, I found it really confusing. Like, mm. why? Why do people do this and that? And you know, yeah. Why do people pretend to like someone that they really feel afraid of, or all those kind of things? That now I understand why mm. people do things because now I have a, you know, older person's perspective. But so I was seeking purpose, meaning, and pleasure. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> all of those things that you know mm. and initially I was seeking them externally so that was a really good driving force for me to go traveling a lot and just keep seeking but although I was seeking them externally I was also seeking them internally but in other people not in myself like watching other I was seeking people that had meaning and purpose in their lives Right. And trying to see how could I put that into my life? Mm. You know, how could my life be like that? Instead of kind so of... There's a thread you were following. Yeah, instead of going internally and meditating and finding out what's me, what do I want, what gives meaning to my life, you know, I thought I would find it by understanding a myriad of other people and what they did and if they were happy, why, and things like that. So if we, it's fascinating that because you're the first guest who I've ever spoken to who suddenly talked about their birth. In fact, I think you're the first person I've ever related to. And right. I suppose as I sit there, I sit here and I listen to you, it's like, they are memories. They are. They take a lot yeah. to access. Yeah. Hmm. And they're in our body, even if they're not in our mind. Yes. Yes. I had a guest um, a few weeks back, Richmond, who put forward the fact that our subconscious is in our body, mm. not necessarily in our mind. Mm. That would stack up. Mm. Yeah, and I would say it's probably a combination. 
Mm. You know, and so it's more like you know continually dialoguing with our bodies because we do have this idea that we being us our our well, I think we have our body, we have our being, and we have our mind, and we tend to think that the mind is, controls everything, and that the mind will make decisions for the body all the time, you know. Yes. But if you just stand in the supermarket and say, "Ask your body, like, what do you want to eat?" It's generally different from what you yes. think you want to eat, you know. Yeah. Or, or even what you're heading you, towards the vegetables, not the processed yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. Or even what you want to wear today, you know? Because mm. <laughs> your body could choose to be like, oh, that's really weird. But when you put them on, you just feel comfortable. Yes. You know, and that's, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So if we fast forward to now. Yeah. So you are an ICU nurse. I am, yes. So it always surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> That's reassuring. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, you are. So, um, first off, what does an ICU nurse, intensive care unit nurse, do? Um, well, it depends what kind of unit you're in and what they specialise in. So, we are not a major trauma unit. So, we don't get, you know, everyone, we see ICU and people think, oh my God, big car crashes, etc. But we tend to get, we specialise in uh, brain. This, this, sorry, this is over in Sydney. Yeah. yeah, in Sydney. Yeah. So um, the hospital that I work at specialises in um, operations on the brain. Yeah. So we tend to get a lot of strokes, brain bleeds, hemorrhages, aneurysms, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also get, we have a unit that's really good, specialised in spinal. So we get a lot of people that have been instantly paralyzed in some form or another Mm. so it's really intense and um they're the hardest ones for me and then we get um cardiac arrests um especially out of hospital cardiac arrests um and so um generally what we're doing is uh keeping people alive who um otherwise wouldn't be able to still be alive by Um, themselves yeah without um, medication and uh, and then a lot of them, the ventilator for breathing. And some of them, we even have machines now where um, it, you can, it's kind of like an external set of lungs. Right. So, <laughs> so you know breathe. Yes, there's all different technology coming all the time. It's pretty amazing. Um, and, we'll, you know, sometimes we'll dialyze so then the kidneys aren't, you know, the kidney work's been done externally as well. Um, we haven't got a brain yet, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> External brains. Uh, you know, things that can work out what you would be thinking and then translate that. They're coming. Uh, or if we're not keeping someone alive, you know, then we are assisting them to die. But it's more common that we are um, keeping people alive. Mm. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like? Um, well, they're 12 hours uh, with one patient, and um, it depends what's happening with that patient. But, um, uh, you know, if they're really critically ill, then the, you have to keep your eye on them at, all the time because of the medications that we use to um, keep their blood pressure up enough to perfuse the mm. major organs, the heart and the brain. They have a really short half-life, so if that runs out, you've, well, you've got half a minute, 
you know, one minute before the patient's going to start crashing and have a heart attack. Or So, you know, a lot of it in the ICU is being prepared, thinking ahead, always being a couple of steps ahead of yourself so that, you know, whatever happens, you're ready. You've got the medications ready. You know, you've got... Um, You've got to check your equipment every morning, make sure the ventilator's got spare batteries just in case the electricity goes, anything like that, because, mm. you know, they can't survive on their own. And mm. then you have the family and friends and loved ones, you know, you want to... Be there. You want to give them time. It's a really tricky time for family because it's this person that they really love and it could even be their last mm. moments with them. But they have to sort of hand over the responsibility for this person's life to us because you know we have to do all the clinical stuff and it has to be done because if it's not done they're they're gonna die so it's really difficult for loved ones Mm. Mm. what's the what's the general working atmosphere like is it is it quite calm and focused yeah yeah, I think up, up it's, tempo. The, it's kind of like the opposite to ED. The emergency department's very chaotic. You don't know what's coming in. Everything can be everywhere. But the intensive care is very, like, we always try and keep, you know, we're always trying to be ready, prepared all the time. So yeah. it's, it's much calmer. Even when there is something, an emergency going on, you know there's always this we try and practice it before it happens we try and everyone knows their roles there's this idea that the best way to be calm under stress is to feel like you you know what you're doing and it's okay and you know so everyone will have a role you'll have a leader and the leader's not even necessarily a doctor sometimes it's the most experienced nurse there it's just whoever is the best person to be in that role at the time will step Mm. into that role Mm. So, how and why did you get into it? Uh, I got into it because I was I wanted to get a visa to stay in Australia. Oh, right. Yeah, so <laughs> I I went and did a degree in nursing because I thought it's a really good way. But also, I was already into holistic healing, and I wanted to deepen my knowledge of anatomy and physiology and pathology. So I thought, well, this is kind of killing two birds with one stone. Hmm. Everyone in the field, like Barbara and Brennan, people who I really was inspired by, they had some sort of scientific. Right. Training, you know, and it really added depth to their message and what they were saying and their understanding. So I thought, well, nursing would be perfect for me because I would get some of that, you know, and it's not, it's three years, it's not like medicine. <laughs> yeah. And I was already 37 years old. So I went and did the nursing and I was really against Western medicine at the time because I was quite narrow minded. I thought it was, you know, this negative thing. Was it almost rebellious against? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just any, you know, I was one of those people that thought it's so different being outside a hospital and judging it to then going and working in the system, seeing how hard everyone works and how much they care. And, Mm. you know, especially when you grow up in England, you really take the NHS for granted. Yes. And you can just be so, you know, judgmental about it. Yeah. And then when you're inside it doing it you just realize it's amazing and everyone is really putting their best in and it's a massive undertaking of course there's going to be people who are going to get infections in hospital of course they're at their sickest yeah. their immune systems are down hmm. you know it's yeah. like the statistics will say yeah <laughs> the law I of mean, averaging. it's you know they're not there because they're healthy and strong and yeah. you know and, and a lot of people are on their way out they're in their 80s and their 90s you know and then we operate on them and then they 
they get a post-op infection. They're in their 80s and 90s. And then people say, oh, well, he had an operation, but, you know, he got infected and the infection kind of killed him. And it's like, then it's suddenly the fault of the hospital. It's like, you know, what's, you know, way up the... Should you have yeah. the operation? Should you not have yeah. the operation? What's the quality of life? And these are the, the chances, you know. I think also one of the things that came through there was... You know, it's humans looking after humans. Yeah. It's not gods looking yeah, after Yeah, exactly. And you come, whenever you go into healing, your own healing, you, you bring your own attitude with your own thoughts, your own understandings, mm. and wherever you're at as well. So I think people often just, they want to hand over the problem to the doctor yeah. and not take responsibility for that part of their lives anymore. And, and the thing is, I also think that we've got into this catch-22 where... The medical profession is very uneasy about saying, I don't know. Mm. So instead of just saying, well, actually, I don't really know. And yeah. it's not because they're, it's not even ego. It's like fear. They haven't even been trained that it's okay to say, I don't know. You know, we all get afraid of that. Mm. I get terrified, you know, that I might be doing a training or something in, you know, energetics. And, and someone might ask me a question. I might not know the answer. And then I realize, well, that's fine. You just say, you know, yeah. you say, I actually don't know the answer to that. It's a great question. Mm. <laughs> you know, maybe we can tune in and see what comes through. But, you know, they're supposed to be this big professional body that knows everything about, you know, and well, we, we can't. put them in this place. Yeah, but, and they have allowed it to happen as well. True. So now we're in this struggle of, you know. This is why we hear of, you know, surgeons getting God complex and stuff. Yeah, like, like to just turn around and say, you know, because... I think if you think you know everything about something, then, you know, you've already got a problem because it's not possible. You know, like everything is this fractal pattern. You know, the deeper you go in, the deeper you can go in. <laughs> yeah. It's never going to end. We're never going to, you know, we work what's an atom and then you go in and it's this, that, and it's that, and it's that. And then at the end it's space. But then what's space? Space is packed with potential. I mean, it's yes. it never ends, right? It doesn't. So, yeah. So when did you first begin to reflect on death? Um, well, I guess. I can't remember ever thinking about death much when I was really young. Um, but as I kind of, I guess, it's more when I got into my kind of, probably late 20s and 30s, I started to really... It's a funny thing is I've never been to a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> never in my life. So um, it's, it's really interesting. But I guess that was probably the times. And, you know, um, I did travel in India and just being in, um, in India, death is like everywhere, mm. you know. It is. Yeah. So you're just like, wow, we live and we die and, you know you really start thinking about it but I guess um, I did get to a stage in my life where I was wishing for death um, your own yeah yeah and it's not that I was consciously suicidal because I didn't even realize that I was asking to die it was kind of just like a program I had running in the back of my mind just constantly it was just like this whole intentionality that I had of this is horrible I don't like this I want to get out right and I used to have this idea that death was going to be this um 
great escape. You know, that I was going to die and suddenly it would be wonderful. Like heaven, I guess, but not mm. with the images of churchy heaven. Yeah. But this idea, that, you know. I was going to die and then I'll be free of this physical body and it would be amazing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I just ended up in a circumstance one day where I was kind of, had this thing running through my mind and, uh, you know, I really want to die, I really want to die. And I didn't know that it was running through. I was just so depressed. And then, because I do have conversations with, you know, spirit or entities out of body, I, whatever you want to call them. You know, they said to me, I was on a table because um, a friend had, I kind of gone into a bit of a trance and a friend had put me on this massage table to do some Reiki to try and, because I was not looking very well. And um, I was kind of just not really present. And then I heard, and this spirit said to me, do you really want to die? <laughs> you know, and I said, yes, yes, I want to die. And they're like, okay, come on then. And um the next minute, I'd kind of just flown out of my body. It was so fast. I think it was probably all of two minutes, but a lot happened for me. And at the second that I was out of my body, it just felt disgusting, like the environment that I was in, because I was straight into my mental body, uh, my emotional body, but without that barrier of the physical body, so I could feel it so clearly and so you know, I was in it, so, and it was disgusting, because I hadn't done any, you know, I was just surrounded by depression, and anger, and all of these heavy emotions that I was picking up all around me, you know, I wasn't even noticing, like, there, of course there were people around me that were joyful and happy, but I wasn't even noticing that, like, I wasn't even open to that um, kind of resonance. So I was just surrounded with my own grief, my own sadness, all this sadness and depression that I'd picked up off other people and none of it was completed. I hadn't faced any of it or worked through it. And it was all there and I was sitting in it. And it felt like the thickest, deepest, sludgy tar and it was revolting. And immediately I was just like, oh my God, get me out of here, I wanna go back. Like, just get me the fuck out of here, you know? And they were laughing, spirit were laughing. They weren't laughing at me, they were laughing with me. Because they'd known that that was gonna happen. Yeah. That's why they brought me into that moment, you know? And they were like, okay, and the next minute I was back. <laughs> And that, that day I kind of made this decision, oh my God, I'm going to do this stuff while I'm alive. You know, I'm going to look at all this stuff, I'm going to clear through all my emotional garbage, I'm going to get my own energy space into a good space, so that when I do finally die and transition, you know, it's, it's going to be a pleasant experience for me. Mm. Because I've already looked at this stuff, I've already started completing it while I'm alive, you know. So that when finally I get to sit there, of course there's going to be stuff. I'm never going to be, you know, done or whatever. But I'll be able to hold my own in it and I'll be able to stay focused and stay present and understand it and just get the richness of, of what it's teaching me at the time without being overwhelmed by all of this stuff that I didn't face when I was alive. Mm. And so from then on I started looking at death, looking at practices. Um, because practices to um, die consciously, right. things like that. And also, because I used to, I was always asking spirit, you know, teach me more about death, about the transition. And then one day they said, um, we're not teaching you anything else about death until you start looking at life and birth. And, you know, because they're the same thing. 
you can't you're going into that narrow-mindedness again so <laughs> you know until we see you embracing life and birth and things we're not going to teach you anymore about death so then I kind of put my focus on creating a life of joy and um, looking back and looking at my life and seeing what happened and then I started to see that I'd had this trajectory of being really involved with death the whole time and learning lessons about death the whole time but I hadn't realized like I had couple of people around me that were dying that I was very close to that I assisted with and then I had um this is before this experience mm, this is um around the same time actually right uh I also had like um animals deaths of animals which would always happen at really appropriate times and teach me things mm. and is that during childhood and things like that or uh no during my travels around Asia uh, mm. and I had a lot of um, often had best friends or animals and then they would die or you know and then they would teach me stuff when they're dying and mm. yeah so I started to realize that it actually been a, a central theme of my life but I hadn't really noticed it because it's uh, when it's you know innate within you you don't notice it you just think mm. it's normal <laughs> so I guess yeah mm. Mm. so um How has that now manifested into what you do? Can you see with, how does it manifest and assist with what you do in like ICU and things like that? Yeah, I hope so. I, I think it's starting to come in now. Mm. Um, initially, you know, I, had, I was so overwhelmed when I started working in the intensive care. I came from um, orthopedics, surgical nursing. Yeah. Not in the surgery, but pre and post op. Yeah. Um, and then I moved into intensive care because I just I've got um, just love learning, so I always just want to keep learning things deeper and deeper. Mm. And I thought, oh, I wanted to go deeper into this uh, nursing, so I, I went into intensive care because that's you know a real depth of of learning. And I was really overwhelmed with it. So initially, it was very task focused very clinical, very um, just learn what you need to learn to keep this person alive, like in this massive... Learn to do the do. Yeah, this massive responsibility of... And you're never really alone because you realise after you've been there a while, there's, or, you know, the thing there is it has to be group. We have to work well as a team. Yeah. Because if, if a patient's really sick, there can be 12 people looking after that one person mm. at that one time. So, you know, as mm. much as, as many as it takes... Is how is how many is going to be there? So we have to really work as a team. So I, now I realise it's all even though they they allowed me to feel like I was on my own because how else am I going to get my yeah. confidence and yeah. believe that I can do it? They're always watching me. And, yes, you know, and it, we have the flight deck in the middle, and that's got everyone's um, flight. Deck. Yeah, that's what we call it. It's got everyone's obs on it. You know, you can yeah. see everyone's heart rate, blood pressure respirate oxygen at all times so <laughs> yeah. you know people and so as soon as one goes a bit off everyone knows and then yeah. you know they'll be like is that patient over there all right so someone will come if you're out of your depth yeah uh, but it took me a while to feel to feel comfortable but now i've been there about a year and a half and um now i'm starting to feel a bit more confident at letting my own sort of areas come out I mean I told mm. them at the interview that I love um, palliative care and that eventually I would like to move into palliative care so they knew that about me but um, I feel that now I can relax a little bit and start to 
use my own natural gifts, which is, you know, to really assist the family and the loved ones when they're making big decisions about, um, you know, mm. the care of their uh, loved one, like letting them go, allowing them to die. You know, the anxiety they feel around that, the Must grief. The, yeah, because, the, you know, often they're making these decisions, you know, at the worst time to make them and no one's had conversations about it before. Mm. You know, so... Um, and wh- one thing I've found is that in the majority of cases... Uh, people are always surprised when someone dies. You know, I mean, it's it's so weird. It doesn't matter. Why is it weird? Well, this person could be ninety years old. They could have been in and out of the hospital a hundred times. They might what, even be. Where does that surprise come from? Is it? it do you think it's from a wall yeah. that we put up between us and yeah, our? Yeah, I do. I think it definitely is because then they're like, she's dead, she's dying. It's like, well. Yeah, I mean, one, she's been dying already how many years. Mm. This is not, this is just the cases of people where you think it was pretty obvious that that person's going to die in the next couple of years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I mean. And, and people come, like, you know, and they're just surprised all the time. And I think there's a couple of things I think is that we, we're trying to do it now. We're trying to bring these conversations into people's lives earlier. Because when you're stressed out, it's the worst time to try and understand a new concept or take on yes. something else. But, you know, it's to have advanced care conversations, advanced care directives, mm. things like that so that you know a person's wishes, you know how far they would like to go, you know what they do and don't want. You even know how they would like their funeral or what they... You know, even yeah. things like when you're dying, do you, do you want someone to touch you? Because everybody's different. Right? Yeah. Or do you want music to be played? Because uh, some people don't want music do you want to be in hospital or at home you know most people want to be at mm. home most people die in hospital that's what we were saying the other day a lot, <laughs> a lot of people have birth plans they do yeah the, people will put so much effort into you know they'll go to yoga they'll practice how they want the breathing to come out and in fact with 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 birth a lot of the thing is if you're doing yoga um with people a lot of the thing is allow like introducing the idea that when the birth happens, it might not be how they want it to be. Yeah. Because they're so set in this idea of how they imagine the birth to be and how they want this perfect birth mm. that we have to actually try and steer them out of like, if it doesn't happen that way, you haven't failed. You know, whatever happens will happen and, and you've done brilliantly whatever. Because people, yeah. you know. But when it comes to our deaths, you know, which every single person is going to die, mm. n- nobody thinks about it. <laughs> Nobody talks about it. Nobody, you know, and it's like, and even if you ask people, what do you think happens after you die? You know, I think people just, they haven't thought about it. And it's not that, it's not that anyone has the answer because nobody has the answer. Yeah. You know, I don't have the answer. I have these perceptions and perspectives and ideas that I have that have come together for me through my own thoughts and my own experiences and meditations I can't say that they're true you know I can't tell someone else that they're true but I can say this works for me this makes my yeah. life a lot richer this and is the t-shirt I wear yeah this with death assists me with and, the yeah. idea of dying and you know what's gonna happen after I've died Mm. you know I mean I have experiences that I've had with people who have already crossed over 
you know, things like that, which, um, and whether or not somebody else even believes in those, you know, they may not. So, but for me, those are very helpful, you know, and if people do believe in that kind of thing, it's also very helpful for them. Mm. But, you know, a lot of people haven't even thought about it at all. There's this like idea of if I shut my eyes to it, it won't happen, but it is going to happen, you know, and chances are it's not going to happen in the way we expect it to happen. Or when we expect it to happen, mm. or in the location. Do we even hold any expectations? Because if you're not even engaging with the idea, what expectations do you think you're going to have? I don't. Well, I have. You know, I mean, I have. I have an idea of my best death. Should we say? I don't. You know, best <laughs> is not really a great. You know, I don't, this idea of a good death and whatever. I. I don't particularly like that kind of idea. But, uh, you know, there's a lack of words around it. So I guess a quality yeah. death or something like That's that. That's interesting what you just said there. A lack of words. Yeah, we don't really have the... Yeah, one of the things I have noted... One of the, this just come to me. One of the things I have noted in the podcast, every now and again I meet somebody, happens from time to time, and they expose a lack of semantics lexicon words around particular things most notable example is when i spoke to a lovely guy called eddie harron and he deep dives into our relationship with time and he has such he has such a depth (laughs) of vocabulary when it comes to time yeah and now you've just exposed another gap almost you know yeah we, we talk about you're wanting to talk about what your best ideal what's the adjective What's the adjective that sits well? Meaningful, powerful, best quality. Yeah, meaningful is a good one. Best version of. You know, because why shouldn't your death mean something? I mean, you know, for myself, there's a continuation of existence after death. So for that reason, I want my death to mean something. But even if you think that you're just going to die and that's absolutely it, wouldn't you, want, wouldn't you want to make that meaningful too? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? If you've only yeah. got, if you're only going to have Poss- one death. Poss- yeah, I suppose, you know what actually, I mean? just sitting there make thinking it about it. Make a profound one, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah, if, if you believe, like, like you rightfully <laughs> said, nobody knows what happens afterwards. Nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody we can have knows. the, we can have people who've, you know, flatlined for a minute or so and come back and they talk about the light or this, that and the other. But we can, and that's not shockable, by the way. Yeah. Like, see on TV. Um... <laughs> But, you know, technically, although you can say that person died and then they came back, mm. they didn't die, die, you know, because it is a pretty, Are it, they, is, it is pretty black and white. Yeah, and especially like, if they come back with a, a story, you know, yeah. and there's been a continuation. Yeah, but it, it I, you know, we don't know. and we don't and, know. and we never will until the day. Know. So you're right, whether, whether you in the camp of um, this is it, and nothing's going to happen afterwards or whether you're in the camp of it goes on af- goes on afterwards um yeah you're right if you're it's, in the first camp there's no then you should have even by <laughs> this is me and my value set but you should have the most amazing celebration yeah whatever it yeah. is for you like if you're if one of your big values is about joy you know and celebrating with others and whatever then you know sure make that your best moment you know what it's just I don't think you know when I, I feel that think that futility of it when people say oh well 
you know, I don't believe in any of that, so I don't... Well, that's fine, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, for me, the point is, if you have this thing and it's a great unknown and you don't know how you feel about it and you don't know what you believe, in that when that gives you a certain sense of freedom then, because it, it, it doesn't really matter what you believe then, does it? You know, I mean, yeah. if, if you don't know and you're never going to know, yeah. then you may as well... Then, then the choice is there. Yeah. Choose whatever. My thing is... Whatever's going to give your life the most ease and grace and integrity, choose that option then. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Because that'll probably... <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because that'll probably... Be, that feedback in and of itself will provide you with the story which is most integrated... Pertinent for your life. For your life. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, why spend three hours arguing about whether something's true or not? Yeah. Which achieves absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just decide which op- option seems no, no, the best. No, full well that neither of you will ever be able to find out. No. <laughs> and go for that, you know? So, yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Mm. Um, I've got another question for you in a sec, but it's interesting. It's almost what, as I sit here and think and, and, and be on it, that it's it's almost like, yeah, if you may, if you actually engage with it, personally mm. engage with it and and see what settles with you then it can provide you with that richness of life mm. by it's almost like the worst and i'll put my bunny ears inverted commas up here the, the worst choice would be to just push it to one side yeah because as i it's interesting sitting listening to what you said so far almost you know as you as you talked earlier on about you know in your childhood you couldn't quite see how people were with people that they didn't like and 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 they were doing things that they didn't necessarily like and mm. they might feel like this about something but they're doing something different and they're working in you know different lack of congruence between mm. the two mm. yet just cogitating on your own passing mm. to me to me would align so many things in life yeah yeah i mean it's such a amazing thing to do what cogitate your own yeah passing you know like it just adds so much richness to every moment give you so much strength yeah power. i think so yeah what has been obviously working in icu you will have mm. encountered a number of passings Mm. Um, yeah. Granted, we've already identified there's a lack of lexicon around this. What has been well, the I most? Well, I have to say that in my unit they do do it really beautifully. How do you mean? The nurses around me and the doctors. I think. How do you mean by they do it? Yeah, <laughs> that's even a funny <laughs> term, isn't it? <laughs> they do it because technically they're not doing anything. Um, I guess <laughs> <laughs> the patient does it. <laughs> I guess what I mean is um, they uh, assist and support the patient and their family in a very beautiful way with a mm. lot of respect and a lot of, you know, bearing in mind that at the same time it's a busy place and there are, you know, usually, you know, there may be one person that's passing away and then there's 10 people who aren't, so we've got to really focus yes. on that. But at the same time, we'll always try and give the family as much like a, a room to be in and um, 
you know, there's, there's as much support available as they want, but there's also as much space available as they want as well. So if they don't want us to be in there, they don't. And if they do, and it's just even learning to, to go and say, you know, I am here, but I'm not going to be here in your, you know, in the middle of it. I'm going to be out here. And then if you want me in, you let me know. And if you don't, then you mm. let me know that you don't want me in. But I don't want you to feel, one, that I'm not available or two, that I'm over available. So, you know, and then just this idea of let's get the clinical stuff done, you know, as soon as possible. Um, and then the things that we can involve the family in try and involve the family you know would you like to help us wash your mum and you know all kinds of stuff yeah. like that which often actually families say no um but mm. we offer that and we have like this program that follows um follows up with the family after their mm. loved ones passed away and called the lost program that one of our nurses brought in and has created and is researching and following through so you know we do try and do it um as well as we can for the families but I still think that um in our society as a whole you know it's still always seen as this very sad negative time Mm. you know I think it's always going to be grief and sadness when someone dies absolutely there's no way of you know that not being there and why should that not be there because you know in fact one of the families said to me the other day you know this is so sad like how do you do this because they're all saying goodbye to their mother it's one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen you know and she said why was it beautiful because because she said to me it's so sad and i said well it is sad but for me all i see is love you know, there was so much love in that room. Like, this woman was so loved. And her life was so honoured. And, you know, in this moment of her passing away, all you could see was everyone just knowing in that moment. Like, there was no... It was really obvious to them how much they loved this woman, how amazing she was, how much they appreciated just having that time with her. It's so sacred and profound. Is every moment that we have with each other is a miracle, right? I mean, especially, mm. you know, that podcast you did about time. I mean, time itself is not even a, a thing, right? <laughs> you mm. know, I mean, we think we've got time, but we don't. We just have this constant now of profound moments. And you never realise that more acutely until someone is transitioning out of our current present, you know? Mm. And then you're just like, Wow, that's when people are really, you know, one of my, one of the things that's really meaningful for me in life is is this thing about things being sacred, you know, mm. and a lot yeah. of the time we walk around, we're taking everything for granted, we're not, mm. you know, we just... What does sacred mean to you, though? It just, it means this, it's real, you know, it's just the, the integrity and the profoundness of everything, you know, it's just... You know, just being there in that moment and just just the awe and the wonder of everything, you know, because everything is sacred, but of course we're just human beings and we go through our lives and, we're, mm. you know, we're cleaning our teeth or arguing with our neighbour or whatever. You know, we're not constantly aware of that, but at the moment of death, is it's absolutely sacred, you know, mm. and people are aware of that. And I think even, you know, even a traumatic death, let's say that someone dies in a car crash instantly or something you know of course there's there's no way that i can say this is truth but for me my 
perspective, my perception of that is that the moment is still sacred and beautiful often when people pass over. Even on the near-death experiences, they'll often come back and say, you know, I didn't actually feel any pain. Mm. You know, I've just, the, all these things happened. And the pain doesn't happen until they come back into their body. So I just, often when people are actually transitioning, it's, there's such sacredness around that moment. Mm. You were saying, you have given the example before, before I questioned you off, you said there was a lady that was full of love in the room. Yeah. Yeah, and they just, everybody just was so full of the love that they had for her and it was there and it was so present and that's all I could see. Of course they were all crying, full of grief, but they were crying because they'd had these amazing moments with this woman and that's why they were crying, you know, and that in itself is a celebration. You know, it's like, of course we can feel grief, but grief doesn't have to be a negative thing. You know, it's just, it's another rich emotion. I mean, yeah. But I mean, grief, the message of grief is, you know, that something is becoming past. And, and you know, and that's what we're doing in that moment. This, this minute is completing. This moment is completing. This life is completing. There's a real beauty in that. Mm. And do you see... Do you find that you see, certainly in, in, in the lead up, that many people want to have the conversation with their mum or their dad, that? Well, this family actually, this is another thing that was so beautiful about, it's I mean, I left there saying, I've just had one of the best days of my life. Because um, they didn't have a chance to, uh, their mother, um, you know, she had a, it was very quick, something happened and no one, it was a shock. Um, it was very sudden and then suddenly she was in the hospital and she didn't regain consciousness. So they, um, you know, didn't have that time to sit around. Of course they came and talked to her, but she wasn't, you know, mm. um, yeah. physically responding. You know, she may have been somewhere, we don't know, but you know, she wasn't physically yeah. in the room responding. Um, but she had been a lady, she'd been full of life, full of vitality, and she had sat down and very clearly told all of her family, she'd given them all an advanced care directive, like, this is how far I want treat. If, so, if such and such happens to me, I don't want to be, I don't want treatment. I don't want life prolonging treatment. Mm. So if I ever, if something happens where there's no chance of me coming back and having a meaningful life, I want you to turn off any life support, stop yeah. any medications. They all knew that really clearly because she had told them. Now, I don't know how those conversations went at the time. You know, they might have been, I don't really want to talk about that, mom. It's not very nice. Or they might have embraced the conversation. We don't know. But she had the conversation and they, all of those children were really clear on that. And the other thing was that she'd put her name down to be an organ donor. So, and she had told them all about that as well. So they knew all of that. So, you know, it took away a massive amount of anxiety for them mm. at that time. So they could just focus on saying goodbye to their mother, how much they loved her. But they didn't have to go through this whole guilt and anxiety over, are we killing her? Because that's what people uh, ask uh, themselves. Yeah, right. Am I killing this person? You know, and then... Well, there's no answer to that because everybody's different. I mean, I can say, well, if it was me, I wouldn't want my life prolonged, you know, if I'm going to be, you know. 
on you know always in a coma or but I can't say that someone else mm. won't want that <laughs> you know so it was just so it was such it was so beautiful to see a family that had had that anxiety removed at that time mm. so I would like this to be I'd love this to be um, part of our culture that we do that we and and take the fear out of it that it can be I mean there is a document now and you can change it at any time it's not legally binding you know so you can even ha- think about it in your 30s mm. and then when you're in your 40s you might feel differently every decade we feel differently about life we think you know and also when you talk to spinal patients who have been um you know who've had their lives changed in the most drastic ways uh, many of them are suicidal in the beginning and then one or two years later it takes them a long time mm. to shift and then a new reality and then they so many of them say they you know there's so much fulfillment in their life they love it but we don't we don't know some of them might not some of them aren't suicidal at all so mm. everyone is different and you can't know how you're going to be so i think this document that's just there for other people to know how what we're thinking in this moment if this happens to me now this is what I would like and this is where I'd like you to stop and mm. you can change it any time you could review it every yeah. two years every four years yeah you know and they're trying to get them in the GPs now so you go to see the GP and the GP yeah <laughs> gives you it and there's a whole booklet about how to start a conversation on it as well so it's I was going to say <laughs> technically the directive is is the business end of it but mm. to get to that point you've got to you know go on go on the journey for yourself you've got to go on the journey to accept and acknowledge that to the place of of doing it and then to turn around to your family friends and loved ones and go right you need to understand this irrespective of where you're at in your journey mm. you've got to mm. respect that i've been through this yeah. myself and this is what i have written down yeah yeah um how do we get to the place of having these conversations more i mean one of the things that comes through for me already is that so you know you work in this in 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 this place in this situation the ICU unit mm. do and you know you're very eloquent about this and you've come at it from your own journey your own seeking mm. um, do your I mean are these sort of conversations you have with your colleagues. Well, even within within you know the ICU, with there are, there and, are you yeah. know everybody has different skills and different abilities in, in different places that they you know. So uh, there there's some nurses there who you know if someone's um, going to be palliated, yeah. they'd rather not be that nurse, you know, and they and and that's fine. Palliated meaning um, going to let them die. Yeah. 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 So it, what it means is that um, the focus of care changes from being one that is towards, um, you know, life supporting mm. to being um, comfort and care. So we, right. we just make them as comfortable as possible. Because a lot of the time when you when you are having procedures that are, you know, working towards um, keeping you alive, they're really uncomfortable, really unpleasant. You know, yeah. and if you're in the last moments of your life, yeah. You know, then surely you actually want to be doing what you want to do. Like even before, mm. I, it's a little bit different in the intensive care unit because people are at this, you know, they're very sick. But even um, in hospital generally, you know, on the orthopedics, when I used to work on the orthopedics, a lot of old people fall over and they break their hip, you know. So then they're suddenly in hospital. 
and then they'll have an operation to have a new hip put in, you know, and then they might get an infection or, you know, so they end up having this long journey in hospital. Or people, you know, one of the biggest ones is people with kidney failure because um, dialysis can prolong life almost, Mm. you know, who can say how many more years of life you can get on dialysis, but eventually the quality of your life goes down and down and down and down and down, you know. And if you're at a point where, you know, if you're in the hospital and we, if our focus of care is on prolonging life, then we will have all sorts of things in place. You might be nil by mouth. You might be on fluid restrictions, especially if kidneys are failing. Um, You know, you might be stuck in bed. Now, if you knew that you perhaps had a week left to live, you might want to go and eat your favorite food. You might want to. You might even want to have alcohol, right? Yeah, you might want to do all these things. You don't want this nurse coming in saying, "Well, you've already had half a liter today of fluids. You can't have any more fluid. You definitely can't have, you know, that whatever it is you love. You know, that bit of chocolate over there. You know, it's like this person is is never going to jump out of bed and be totally well and go and whatever. So let's like focus on these moments being the best quality they can be for that person. But we can't legally do that until the focus of care changes. Right. But, you know, we're... And who makes that decision? That decision is made with the patient and with the family. Right. Uh, so, if uh, so, you know, it's also best to make these decisions before mm. you um, start to lose your faculties as well because then we can't... We can't take your... Um, decision then we can't accept it because you're not mentally Mm. able you know so it's all it's good to have this stuff written down like I had to call an ambulance for my neighbor the other day and he's quite elderly and when we were there he was very ill and he was saying I don't want to go to hospital you know and then I was kind of caught in this dilemma because I thought you know if he goes to hospital he ends up dying in hospital you know, should we just be leaving him at home? There's all sorts of things involved in that. He lives on the top floor of the apartment. He can't really take care of himself. There's someone to come in, blah, blah, blah. But I said to him in the moment, is the reason that you don't want to go to hospital, because, is it because... Because we'd already said to him, you, it's very possible that you'll die within the next couple of days if you don't go to hospital. So I said to him, is the reason you don't want to go to hospital, is it because you want to stay at home, even knowing that you might die? And you would rather that happen to you at home? Or is it because you think that you're okay and that you don't need the hospital and that you're well enough? He said, I don't need the hospital. I'm totally well. And so then we legally and ethically have to take him in. Yes. Because he's not well, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was very obvious that he wasn't well and he was confused. Yes. So you need to think about doing these things when you can do them. Mm. when your word can be taken that you, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head the proper legal jargon for it, but, you know, when you're compost mentos and we can accept your decisions, you know, yeah. 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 Mm. And then the other thing is, eventually I would love to sort of shift this idea that we have of death anyway from being this awful, horrible thing that we have to go through to maybe Mm. being this beautiful, amazing you know, potentially transformative experience. But, um, you know, I think before we even start going there, we have to just start having 
normal everyday conversations about death and how would you like to die and <laughs> you know mm. <laughs> yeah which is not an easy one to bring up if you sit and having a pint in the pub is it no and like for example my grandma because i was saying i was thinking about my grandma this morning and she um died in her 90s so she had a good life she had a great life but um she got dementia and you know she was in this home and her dementia was getting worse and worse and she lives in england i live here so i wasn't really seeing her but then um i mean she was nothing like the woman that she used to be um but because she had dementia she had gone past that stage where she could make decisions about what she was happy to kind of Mm. accept in her life so um I went home to visit my family and my mum took me to see my grandma because we used to go every day. And she was saying, oh, she, she just kept saying, I want to go home. I want to go home, you know. And she was saying, my mum's there waiting for me. And her husband, who's also dead, you know. And everyone's like, oh, it's the ramblings of a demented woman. Mm. You know, she doesn't know where she is. So they all keep saying to her, no, those people have already died. You're in this home. You live here. You're 90 years old, you know. And um, I said to my mum, you know, that's not it. She actually wants to die. Because it just seemed really clear to me that she was saying, I, I want to die, you know. I want to go home like these people are. You know, of course, saying go home, it's, that's a whole load of whatever. But this is just the language she was using. Yes. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's home and we all, whatever. You, that's mm. your own beliefs and things. But it's easy for us to think home and then go, oh, bricks and mortar. Sure, yeah. And I mean, for me, you know, I can think of it as this spiritual going home or whatever. But actually, I used to think of it as spiritual going home. But now I think of it as a doorway into even more expansion and just another birth somewhere else. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> when yeah. I when I go through this veil, I'll be bir- I'll be birthed somewhere else. Mm. But um, I, you know, I said it, she's just saying she wants to die. She wants to go and be with her husband she wants to go and be with her mother they've all passed on already but there was two things stopping her one was she didn't feel she had permission to leave everybody and two she was afraid so how did you come with those two the first one i could just hear in her voice and the way she was asking she kept saying i want to go home yeah i could hear that she just needed someone to say yeah so we sat down and i said will you you do know that you can go home, don't you, Granny? It's okay. You can go home any time you like. Mm. We've, we're all really happy for you to go home if you want to. It's not a problem for us. We've all got our own lives. You're 90-something. It's totally fine. This is a demented woman. She was very still when we said that. My mum sat there. And then she went, mm-hmm. She nodded her head. And then I took her out into the garden in her wheelchair because it was a sunny day, and that's, which is always beautiful in England. So, And there was a flower there, and um, asked the flower if I could pick it because I always like to ask them first because <laughs> <laughs> they can withdraw their energy then. And um, she said yes, and so I picked this flower and I put it in my grandma's lap while we were walking around, and then later on when I went home, I took this flower with me and I put it on my pillow at night so it could connect with my grandma. And I did a journey with her, like she was asleep in the thing, but I did this medical physical journey with her. Um, and we went to the Vale and where you would cross over and, you know, she was very nervous. She was really afraid. So I knew that that was the second reason mm. why she wasn't dying. It was because she'd never thought about death in her life. She had no idea what her own beliefs around death were. She had no idea what she was expecting or thinking might be at the end because it doesn't matter what you believe in. You just need to prepare yourself 
for something. Yeah. Even if you're preparing yourself for nothing, for mm. oblivion, you need a bit of preparation and it takes away some of the anxiety. Mm. So, um, you know, she was very afraid. And she was a church-going woman, you know, that generation. And that, you know, their God was quite scary. He was this man. He was just a, a wrathful dad that would punish you, you know, if you did anything wrong. Um, so there was nothing really particularly loving in her you know religious ideas or anything so she was just afraid so we just inched over a little bit a little bit a little bit and then we came back and we inched over just a little bit and she because I was there and then we just came back and did that a few times and then I came out of meditation and I said to my mum she will die soon you know and I went back to Australia and she died two weeks later she was in her 90s yeah. And basically, uh, my mum rang me up. She said um, she developed ischemia in her leg. It was extremely painful. She was in her 90s. Hospital offered to amputate her leg. <laughs> you know, luckily, my mum's realistic. She thought about <laughs> death already because some families would say yes. Yeah. And she was like, This is a 90 year old woman with dementia. You are not cutting her leg off. Yeah. That is an s- extreme thing to do. You know, the hospital probably just felt they have to offer anyway. Yeah. They have to keep offering, you know. Yeah. And my mum said, no. Yeah. And they said, they were probably really relieved. Like, oh my God, we haven't got to operate on this 90-year-old woman. Um, And they said, well, then we'll have to just go for comfort care. Um, I said, yep, that's okay. So they started giving her morphine, tiniest amounts of morphine. And I said to my mum, I just want to prepare my mum because it's her mother, you know. Yeah. And I was like, be ready because it's because I knew because I journeyed with her that she had a little bit of fear and that was stopping her. And I knew that as soon as she had a bit of morphine, it, morphine takes away your ability to feel afraid, right? It makes you so calm. Yes. So I knew that as soon as she had a bit of morphine, she would go over the bow. Yeah. And um, I said, oh, just, you know, be ready because she won't last long. And that's because some people, they can be palliated and they can last for months. You know, whatever each person needs, every death is so personal, so individual, you can't. Mm. Some people, you know, they want time, they need time. And they, even they might be, you know, not conscious, but it could be months. But I just knew it wouldn't be long because we'd already done this, you know, bit of preparation. That was enough for her. And two days. She was gone hmm. with the tiniest bit of morphine. So it's just... All made sense. Yeah, it's just that, you know, mental preparation because we are so scared of the unknown and it's never going to be the known, but at least it could be something we've thought about. Hmm. It's interesting that, um, you know, like even the little tagline for this podcast is find yourself in real stories. And one of the things mm. after sitting and talking... You know, to over a hundred odd people, yeah. is that it's it's all about the stories we tell ourselves. We don't really know. Yeah, we, we don't tell, know. We tell ourselves stories. We define ourselves by the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, we and do. So what's yeah. the sto- and, and I find that once people start taking responsibility for the stories they tell yes. themselves, then they start yeah. creating yeah the experience yeah. and the reality that they yeah enjoy yeah. Mm. And what's shining through here is death is no exception because we don't know the answer. We don't know the answer, you know. So why not fully engage with it, not yeah. fleetingly, yeah. mentally, emotionally, go there, think about it, see what feels right, whether you believe that's it or we move on or we reincarnate or come back as a flower or 
hop out of one and straight into another or whatever it may be, Mm. whatever it may be, but work out what sits for you and double down on that and embody that and honor and respect that story. And, and then when the time comes, you, you have your story, you have that you'll tell yourself about the experience. Mm. And it may be absolutely nothing that you expected. No. <laughs> but at least you've prepared. Yes. And so then you've removed a huge amount of fear, mm. which can pervade your entire mm. life. Mm. It's like Tash, we're on the way here, Tash was talking mm. about um, Manifest, that festival that she created out of nothing. You know, and she said <coughs> she was very... Um, you know, she was having a moment where she was like, "Oh, it's not going to happen." You know, I don't, I don't know the first thing about a festival. And then two people came to her and gave her this list of contacts, people that knew how to set festivals up, knew how to do it. You know, and just because she had those lists, then she felt, "Oh, this is doable." She relaxed. She created it. She didn't use a single person off any of those lists. You know, yeah. everybody just came in at the moment and the thing created itself mm. and it was amazing. So it's kind of what I'm saying about, about death. We don't know, you know, you can mm. have any idea that you want. The same thing we were saying about birth. You don't know how the birth is going to go. So, you know, you can just have a little bit of preparation because in that preparation mm. is peace and calmness. And then you may not even maybe nothing like you expected or you planned or you may not use any of that preparation but at least you've done it and it gives you peace in the moment it's Mm. because it's about now the word grace is coming through to me yeah having a graceful departure however that is for, for anyone you know there's a fantastic as i sit and listen and talk to you there's a fantastic connection with life that you have mm. at its most finest at its most um, undiluted mm. is that how you feel? Um, I feel very still suddenly like I'm just <laughs> I don't even know if I want to say anything anymore okay. I feel like we've come to this real can you feel that? Yeah. Uh, we've come to this real beautiful... I feel like, do you want to say something? Oh, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think for me, um, as I just said then, it becomes so abundantly clear when I have these, and I listen to people on the other side of this microphone Mm. that we do tell ourselves stories and we go on games of hide and seek in those stories Mm. and some stories we are just too scary Mm. we just don't want to go near them Mm. and you can try and hide in other games of hide and seek to stay away from the one that you don't want to play in 
but the one that you don't want to play in is the one that you'll have to play in at some point mm. and that's where you will have to face what is the story that it's not the story that is categorically objectively truthful because hey while we're here I don't really think there is much in the way of objective truth mm. you know and sign people of a scientific nature will probably disagree with that but you know ultimately if I measure you know there's a piece of rubber on the table here if I measure it to be 10 centimeters long that's because I've used a ruler mm. and the ruler is a set of little lines that we've all agreed mm. is that long mm. so subjectively we mm. agreed that all the little lines together and the one big one with the 10 written on it and we agreed that 10 is 10 as well <laughs> right mm. so mm. <laughs> it's this false layer <laughs> it's of that's so weird so so in that you know it just oh, it gives you an amazing sense of freedom once you realise that you can construct your own story now the thing I'm learning with that is on the surface of that yeah you have the freedom to construct any story you want but as I found recently myself you can, you can write the crazy story in, your, in the world um, but even within the story that you choose to write yourself there will be a resonance within it and there will be things that you write down in your story and it will be like oh that feels right and that's although it sounds exciting that part you know egotistically that is that is ego driven it doesn't sing for my soul and so yeah mm. there's almost like a a core signature within you that helps you to define the story which is uh, a journalist out the other day I believe that stories have an amazing the stories we tell ourselves the key core stories and mm. they are so deep medium deep surface deep mm. right um I believe that there's there's spirit underneath us and that the stories have the ability to either amplify or muffle, de-amplify, if that's a word, the core energy that we have within us. And when you get the stories right mm. that are lined up with your core frequency, whoosh. So that's kind of, yeah, and that's what we were talking about the other day, isn't it? Like um, when you can recognise your own resonance, your own integrity mm. you know then you can learn to recognize it in the stories that, that you're telling yourself because and then there becomes only, there's no right or wrong there's only ever one question yeah you know and the question is is this going to make me more of who i truly am or less of who i truly mm. am is this going to bring me into more integrity and expansion of myself or is it going to take me away from myself and there's your answer you know and yes. you can still take whichever path you like, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But what is your preference? Like for me, I, well, I want to take the path that, you know, is going to yeah. increase my integrity of self. Yeah. But I just loved what you said earlier about, you know, we're all telling stories. We, there's no, we can't, nothing's right or wrong or true or untrue, really. We're all telling stories, but the, what comes out of it is once you start to take responsibility for the stories that you're telling yourself, 
yeah, then, then you can decide, you know, then you can use the stories, can't you? Mm. That's what we're saying. And they can, you know, they can bring you towards a greater degree of integrity and self-awareness and self-knowing. You can purposefully go on a game of hide and seek yeah, to go and yeah. learn something. And tell you yourself those stories that really, like? yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you want, tell yourself the other stories. It really doesn't matter. But then just, you know, what are the consequences of each one and which one do you prefer? Yeah. That's all. <laughs> which, one had, which one is most into, holds most integrity to yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. And so if we double back all the way around by actually facing up to the story of our own death, mm. Mm. which is the story on departure, which is going to appeal to all of, which is going to happen to all of us, not appeal. It happens. Hundred percent of us. Yeah. Absolutely. What, how do you want? <laughs> how do you want to lead in? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen afterwards? Investigate that story. What? For me, you know, what I want is I want to stay aware. Yeah. That's what I want. I want to yes. stay present. I want to stay aware. Of course, I don't want to be in pain mm. and stuff. But I, I don't believe that that's going to be. You know. For me, however I'm dying, I don't think pain's going to be the big, the big issue. Mm. Even if I've done something that's very painful, I don't think that I will be, you know, aware of that. I had I had a car accident once, and um, it was a very lucky car accident, as in nothing physical happened to me. Yeah. But um, I had a completely different experience of what happened. So the last thing I remember seeing is a really long driveway and a set of French windows at the end of that driveway mm. and I remember thinking fuck we're gonna break those windows we're gonna go straight through them and we're gonna break them and then I've got no and then I don't have any memory I know that I somehow got out of the car because I was laying in the middle of the road so I don't know I know I was laying in the middle of the road like this just I just you know the whole thing was just emotionally overwhelming I was laying in the road and my partner came to just get me up and get me out of the road and, um, and we went back home. We were living in Spain in the mountains. And the next day, I said, we were at the pub, because that's what everyone used to do, you know. Everyone had gone over the mountain, <laughs> drink driving where we live. Um, They've all been there years. And, you know, and I was sitting there, and they said, how are you? And I said, well, I was still in shock. I said, I'm okay, but I'm really worried about that house, you know. What happened to the house? Um did we break the windows, you know, was there anyone in there? And everyone, they were just kind of looking at me. And then someone said, I think you should probably go and have a look at the car. And I said, oh, okay. And anyway, I went and had a look, so it was still there. And it was, it was hanging over the edge of the mountain. Like there was no house there or anything. You know, it was just, the car was just there and it was hanging. I don't even know how I got from my seat out because my door was hanging. So I just don't know. But what I do know is that you know, what happened to me in that moment was the easiest thing for my mind to contemplate without breaking. You know, was that, I, you know, I didn't see that we were going over a mountain. I didn't see any of that. And, you know, many times people do come back from extreme moments like that. You know, people that lose their fingers and whatever. And you're like, how was the pain? And they say, didn't feel any pain at the time. Mm. We hear that a lot in the hospital. People have the most incredibly awful traumatic things happen to them physically and they say I couldn't feel it you know the body kicks in 
We mm. have, you know, the pineal gland, you know, that whole thing about um, there's a, a something that's released when we die. I can't remember the name of it. This neurotransmitter, it's like, and it take, and that's what science is now trying to say is responsible for the near-death experiences and things. You know, and I don't think that's wrong, but that also doesn't negate what's happening in that experience. Mm. <laughs> you know, the both can be true. The um, whole body is a little chemistry. Set. That's right. So I don't think that pain is going to be, of course, that's what we think is our main fear about dying, but I don't think that's going to be the issue when we get mm. there. I really don't. So for me, I would like to maintain my awareness because the thing is we learn to work out who we are so much by our bodies you know and that when i had that mini experience where i I lost my body and i came out the next thing i identified myself with was my emotional body so then i still knew who i was because i had this awful emotional body but when all of those things are breaking down you know your physical body your third body your emotional body your mental body and they're all moving away this whole construct what makes your identity Mm. there's still this you at the end of that your beingness your resonance your you and if you can maintain awareness of that you can follow your death through with consciousness and then you do get to see what happens next (laughs) you get to hold it all you know Mm. and there is like the the tibetan people who you know are the masters of death and dying they have all of these chants that they do and they intone them at the time of death and the idea is that you hear them then and that sound carries you through and you keep your awareness as you die and then you can decide, you can bring your memories through to the next life if you want to or whatever. Yeah, so they have this whole, you know, I mean, they have a whole wealth of knowledge on dying because they're such deep meditators. So, you know, the world is our oyster. It's all out there. You can, you know, can just make your death your own. <laughs> mm. What have you learnt about yourself through all of this? Um, I have learnt to um, live life and to love being me um, and to embrace death, you know. Because it's it's just yeah I want to it's an incredible opportunity having this life and I want to you know I want to I want to look back well I I can already now I'm I'm now I'm at a point now where I don't want to die I want to keep on living this life because mm. the life I've created is really joyful and 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 pleasurable and if I die I've already done I've done so many great things that were important for me to do mm. um, that it's okay. You know, I've had a fabulous life. And that's something that I think is, you know, make sure that you've done things that you think are great. Make, you think are great. Yeah, for each person. You know what I mean? Make sure that when you get to that point when you're dying, you're, you're not going to look back and be full of regrets. You know, I wish I'd told that person I loved them. I wish I'd spent more time with them. Or I wish I'd seen that part of the world. Whatever it is for you, you know, do it face things, confront them, just keep on living. Mm. What does the next uh, three or four years look like for you? I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, I think um, I'm definitely going to move more into being um, with people um, 
when they are dying through that time of life. Um, we had a little conversation about this the other day about, I think it was you. Yes, what, you know, what an honour it actually is and what a privilege mm. it is to be, um, to be able, to be granted that privilege to be with someone when they're dying because mm. when someone is dying, that's the most precious part of their life in a way. Mm. And the people that they have around them in that time are very lucky people. Um, and I would, you know, I'd love to have the honour to be with more people as they are moving through that transition hmm. into, um, yeah, because it's just such a profound time. I find it incredible, beautiful. And I can, it's not often I, I do this with guests where I give them firm suggestions because <laughs> 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 I, I spend more time listening and but I can I can definitely see you holding space for people to actually consider their own passing mm. and yeah and, and providing their own directive uh, and constructing their own directive and constructing their own story mm. authentic story yeah because one of the things I would love to do actually is just to hold dialogues around it yeah you know it's just to sit in groups of people circles and just talk about death, which would eventually lead to what you were saying, I think, you know. Just Your own, yeah, people. just to hold a space to be able to talk, you know, it's almost like talk shit about no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so you find your own story that sits for you. Yeah, yeah. And then from that, then you can do the practical things of directives and things like that and, and what have you. Yeah. Hmm. What's Nicola grateful for? Um, friends I, I love my friends they're such an important part of my life um, and um, it, you know friends who um, I can have inspiring conversations with because about the profoundness of life because I really you know I find if I can't talk about that stuff um, I start struggling in life so mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that. That's why I created the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm really grateful for living in Australia. I love Australia. I love this country. I love the land. The land is so powerful here. I love connecting with the land here and the feel of it. And, you know, it was interesting because my mum told me once that my granddad wanted to come and live in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, and they could have come over. They were paying people to come over them. And my grandma said no because she didn't want to go. And, I, you know, and my mum felt that granddad had been a part of the getting me here right. <laughs> to fulfill his own wishes in the genealogy, you yeah. know. So it's beautiful to be here. I love England. England is a really, really lovely country. And the more I go back there, the more I um, appreciate it. But when you're living there, you can... I was blind to all of that yes. stuff. So I love going back there now. I love being with my family. I appreciate them so much. I love the moments I get with my family when I'm at home. It's incredible. I'm going home for Christmas and I can't wait to just sit with my family <laughs> yeah, in the cold, in the cold. <laughs> and have a Christmas at home, you know, it's mm. going to be beautiful. So I'm really grateful for that. And I am so grateful for technology. I love the internet. It's just, I just, I just love it. I find it so exciting because I, I just love being able to explore and seek and you can just put a few words in and you've got no idea of the wealth of yeah. richness that's going to come back to you. It's another thing I love. And I've got to say, I love aeroplanes. I just love traveling as well. Mm. Super. Mm. And the last question I ask my guests 
Yes. Is um, if you could upload a little nugget of information into the collective consciousness so we all just get it. Yeah. What would that be? It would be um, a pathway to um, recognizing your own essence in resonance so that you can find it. Yeah. Well, there is a pathway. There certainly is, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the fractology, which obviously I'm not going to go into, but the yeah. healing my down that I do, we do actually get together and we um, join all of our minds into this group mind and we do create pathways for things like that and we put them into the collective consciousness. And we, we just put them there and we leave it open. So if anyone wants to reach for it, they can have it. It's there for them, but it's, nothing's ever forced on anybody. We're done with integrity, always. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I would do, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, Nick. <laughs> I know you were very nervous about coming in. I know, but then I yes. just talked And away. it all came out of a <laughs> small conversation over a cup of tea the other day. Yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you for your presence and for holding the space and for, um, yeah, just bringing that space about where um, things can just come out that, you know, who knows, somebody might hear it and think, hmm. that really helps me. Yeah, so thank you. And if people want to find you, reach out. Oh, um, well... <laughs> <laughs> I am actually finishing my website as we speak with Tash uh, for the Fractology. So um, that will have a... Um... Do you do anything online? Like, yes. do you put lines down? Yeah. <laughs> do you write things down? I do. Yeah. So I can... Because I think we're going to finish that today. So there'll be a, a website address then that I yep. could give to you and you could put it at the bottom of this podcast. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you.